Are you ready to take control of your wealth and design the life you envision for yourself and your family? Welcome to Wealth of Insight with Austin Wittenberg from Wittenberg Wealth Partners. Austin guides you through the entire planning process to help you build a plan that seeks to protect your financial future. He empowers you with creative investment opportunities and planning ideas to help you understand and achieve your long-term goals. It's time to gain confidence in your financial future. Now, onto the show. Welcome back to the Wealth of Insight podcast. We've got a recurring guest here, Rick Gallagher, joining us. It's good to see you, Rick. Hey, good to be on again. Yeah, we thought we'd talk about education planning here. Kids are back in school. September is officially college savings month. So we thought it made sense to talk about our approach to saving for education. You know, should you, shouldn't you, pros and cons, all that kind of stuff. So let's just hop right into it, Rick. Should you save and pay for your kids' college education? What do you think? Well, I I do think it's phenomenal timing that September is college savings month and we can talk about this. Um, We get a number of responses from clients when we bring up the topic of education planning. And I I think that the initial reaction is, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I know it's going to be expensive. And man, you know, do we really have to get into that? But at the same time, most of our clients realize that, hey, this could be, you know, we have one or two or six kids and this could be a pretty large expense in the future. So it's it's interesting. I, I think we get a, a pretty wide swath of responses right off the bat, ranging from, oh, no, I, I'm not worried about that. I paid my way through college. I had, you know, the six part-time jobs or whatever else. And my kids are going to do the same thing. They're going to they're going to make their own way through, you know, to the other end of that spectrum, which is I want my kids to have all the the freedom in the world to go wherever they want, whatever school makes most sense for them. So, and you know, sort of everything in between. Maybe I pay for part. Maybe I maybe I pay for a little less than my parents did. That sort of thing. So. I guess the answer to what is the right amount to pay for your kid's education comes down to whatever you think, whatever's right for your family and right for your kids. Yeah, it is kind of one of those no right answer. And fun, you know, funnily enough, I think people are anchored to their experience. So the clients who say, I did, I made my own way, so they're going to make their own way. You know, it's rare that I see, oh, my my grandparents or my parents helped me, but I'm gonna make my own kids do Agreed. it themselves, right? And I'm certainly a little biased here through through scholarships and through a 529 that my parents had saved. I was able to pay for the majority of my college. And I sort of feel that same way, you know, comparing my experience to other friends or or people I know who were having to pay their own way, took them a little bit longer, it was just a little bit more challenging. You know, again, it's it is a personal decision, and I'm not sure there's a right answer. But I think it's kind of interesting that people. It's sort of like, and I don't want to get too much into this, but like the people the, with all the student loan forgiveness stuff you're hearing about now, people who have paid off their loans already don't want other people's loans paid off because they didn't have it for them or or whatever. Right? right? People just sort of it was this way for me, so it's going to be this way for for everybody else. So, um, but you know, I've to that end, I've you know, and this is why I want to get into the options because I've started to see, I think maybe the way people are saving for it 
is changing as the world changes, as technology changes, and as a college education has just gotten so much more expensive than it is today. You know, I was just reading some statistics on credit card debt versus student loan debt. And those numbers used to be pretty similar in our country, amount of credit card debt and student loan debt. Mm-hmm. Now the amount of student loan debt is significantly higher than credit card debt as as costs have escalated. All of that to say, that's why, you know, if education is important to you, that's why that getting ahead of it and starting to save early can make a huge difference because those costs are just continuing to grow and grow and grow. Okay. So let's get into the options here. So, you know, there's a few ways to go about it. Most people are probably familiar with the 529 plan. I know that's where you and I are going to spend the majority of our time today there. You know, that's probably the most common vehicle. There is what's called a Coverdale education savings plan. Not something we typically see, just it's got really low limits and just not really not going to, if you want to pay for college, it's not going to really allow you to save enough to be able to make that happen. And then the other type of account is what's called a custodial account. People may be familiar with, and they may have heard of UGMA or UTMA that are just some guidelines about, well, you know, that money just automatically transfers and becomes the kid's money, which may or may not fit within what the intended use for those funds are. So I wanted to get those other options out there, but I, you know, I know primarily we want to talk 529 here. So give us the rundown on a 529 and, and how that works. Yeah. So a 529 plan does make the most sense if you're saying, hey, I want to set funds aside specifically for education expenses down the road for my child, for my grandchild, et cetera. So it's as simple as, hey, you go to a 529 plan sponsor, which they're typically sponsored by the states, and you invest money with them, right? You set up a plan, you open an account, invest the funds, and the funds grow over time. Um, the, the primary benefit to, to maybe speak to, and so many things come back to this, is the tax benefit. So on the front end, when the money goes into the account, there is, with most plans, a state-level tax deduction that you can get. Now, so let's we don't spend get- a little bit of time there too. Sorry, you know, because each state does have their own plan. You don't have to use your state's plan, but my right. understanding is to get that state tax benefit, it does have to be this. You have to use the plan for the state that you reside in. Yes. No, thank you. That's that's a, a very good point to make that you have to use the state that you are a resident of. Um, you have to use their plan in order to get their state tax deduction. There are some states like California that don't don't offer a state tax deduction. And so it might make sense to just use, you know, any other plan that you happen to like in that particular case. So let's let, let's take a little deeper dive there on investment options as well, because that's something I hear quite frequently. And, you know, they want to know, is, is it just sitting in cash or can I pick some index funds or mutual funds? And how do I balance the risk? And, you know, how do we how do we approach helping clients get those types of things, you know, get that get the investment piece right, so to speak? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So different plans have different investment options. So some plans will have just mutual funds. Some will have index funds. Some will have a mixture of both. It's it's worth noting the expenses 
that you're going to be charged for those different types of vehicles. So typically, mutual funds will have a higher expense than will an index fund. And so many people prefer that lower cost option in indexing. And it it will depend, like we've said, state to state on the different plans that are available. There will be different investment options within each of those. Generally speaking, it's it's fair to say that the more time you have before you need to actually use the money, the more risk you can take. And so if if we're investing money for, you know, let's say a, a grandchild of a client that's just been born, you know, a couple months ago and we're already beginning to save for education expense in the future, it might make sense to have all of that money in stocks, in risk on type of assets. As the client or as the child, the grandchild in this case, gets closer to needing to use that money for education, then we would reduce the amount of risk they're taking because we're getting ready to use the money. Yeah. And, you know, that type of approach is something we want to be communicating with our our clients about. Cause that, as with, you know, this applies, I think, to people's investments in general, their 401k, other investments. Most people are taking either more risk than they realize, or they just don't, they don't know the amount of risk they're taking. So then we have a year like 2022 where we've had some volatility and people are a little surprised about the type of movement they've seen. So as we're looking, you know, thinking about these education expense, we sort of have a pretty good idea. We can project out where we think costs will be. And the closer we get, we want to make sure that your grandchild or grandchild's not heading to school at the same time that your investment portfolio gets cut by 20 or 30%, right? So we want to make sure it's getting monitored to the, and managed to that. And there are also, you know, sometimes depending on the client situation and what's easiest, they have, you know, typical most 529 plans, at least the ones that we work with, have sort of an age-based or a time-based automatic portfolio similar to like a target retirement date fund in the 401k, right? So you can just say, look, my child or grandchild or whoever, we, you know, we can get into who can use a 529 here in a minute, but whoever the beneficiary of this 529 is, they're going to college in at most likely this year, this date range. And so the investments automatically sort of adjust over time towards that, towards that date range. So um, let's get into the pros and cons here real quick, and then we'll talk about uses. So as you mentioned, there may be a, one of the pros is a potential small state tax benefit, depending on the state that you live in. Um, you know, we talked about that tax deferred growth. So a typical investment, if you invest in a mutual fund, for example, and they are buying and selling stocks throughout the year, they may generate capital gains those years that you as the end investor have to pay taxes on. So inside of a 529, that money grows tax deferred, meaning you don't pick up those taxes along the way. And if you use it for what they call qualified expenses, you never pay that capital gains tax. So that's really the primary benefit. And so if, you know, again, if education is the most important thing you want to save for, that's why the 529 vehicle is so powerful because you can avoid that, you know, for again, the federal rate right now is 20% plus your state rate. You, you could be avoiding somewhere between 20 and, you know, maybe close to 30% in capital gains taxes by utilizing the 529. So those are the, that's the sort of the primary pros and why it makes sense to, 
to do that. But there are a handful of cons. Rick, why don't you talk a little bit about the cons we see with these plans and and why we want to make sure we balance both these things as we're talking about how much money to invest for college. Yeah. So the primary con is that if the money's not used for those qualified expenses, maybe we'll discuss those here in just a second. If it's not used for college expenses, then the money when it comes out of the plan is subject not only to income tax, either as you know an ordinary income or a capital gains tax, but also a 10% penalty on top of that. And so, you know, the it's it's the IRS's way of saying, hey, this is supposed to be a college savings vehicle. If you don't use it for that, then you know, we're going to assess a different penalty. You know, in addition, the investment options can be somewhat limited. You know, while we've we've mentioned that there's mutual funds and index funds, the world that you're you have access to as far as investments won't be exceptionally broad or deep. And so there can be some limit that way. Yeah. You know, I think people, most people are familiar more like with the 401k, right? And it's similar to that, where the sponsor of the plan that you choose, whichever state you choose to invest in, are going to have the options for you that you have to pick from. It's not just like setting up your own brokerage account where you can go anywhere and sort of do anything. It's going to be limited to, to the options there. So, okay. Well, then let's get into you know those qualified expenses. Because again, that's if we use them for qualified expenses, we avoid all those taxes. That's the main benefit. So we better know what are the things I can actually spend this money on. Yes. Yes. Definitely useful to, to bear in mind that there's a handful of things that a 529 can be used for. Primarily, and this would be expected, tuition and fees up to the full amount of what the college or the vocational school, so nice that we can use them for that, list on their website as required tuition and fees. Now, it's also worth noting that, and it's a somewhat recent change, that you can use up to $10,000 a year for K through 12 education. So if you're paying for some kind of a, a private or a charter school for your children to go to, you can use 529 funds up to 10,000 a year for that you know, elementary, middle school, high school education. Other expenses included, of course, would be books and supplies, computers, that kind of thing. Again, these are all going to be listed on the college website. And up to that amount that's listed there is what you can use the 529 for. We get a lot of questions about one other, which is room and board. And, you know, parents or grandparents will say, hey, you know, can I just put my kid up anywhere and just use the 529 for it? And the the answer to that is, well, not exactly. If if they're living off campus, so not in on campus housing, then you can only use the 529 plan funds up to the amount of on campus housing expense that's again listed on that particular college's website. I think that's really important. Because that really, if you think about the college experience, that's tuition is going to be the biggest expense. I think room and board ends up being the second on that list, right? How do I, where do I live? You know, when I went to the University of Utah, I lived on campus and had a food card. So I, that, that piece was easy. But if you're going to live off campus, then you got to make sure, hey, I, you know, that those 529 funds are still eligible, but up only up to a, a certain limit. So, um, and for the most part, if you can take care of those two expenses, that's going to be, I should, you know, I probably shouldn't even guess at what the number is, but 85 to 90% of the total cost. Cause you can have books, computers, that kind of stuff as well. But when you're talking about a four-year education, those 
pale in comparison to that tuition and just having somewhere to live while you're going to school. Okay. All right. So we just talked about uh, you know the qualified expenses, what you can use it for. Who should be, you know, as, as you're building a financial plan for your clients, at what point do you bring up education planning? Like who's really the best fit for building this part of their plan and who should be considering, uh, you know, saving for education for their, their children or grandchildren? Yeah. So we, we have this thing that we put in, in front of clients pretty often and it gets included in any comprehensive plan that we do that's called the family legacy pyramid. And we've probably and, brought that up about every other episode here too. So hopefully people are familiar by now. Yeah, it, I would imagine it gets mentioned here enough. It's it's literally a triangle, right? It's a pyramid. And at the base of it is the question of, are we okay? And so we try to answer that first. We try to build off a solid foundation in a financial plan. And in order to answer that, right, we need to take care of the client and the immediate need first, which that is often going to include making sure that you're set for retirement, for example, or other financial goals that you have in your life before moving up the pyramid to the next question, is my family okay? And so I I guess to answer the question, we want the parent or the grandparent that's considering education planning to be okay first before moving into, okay, let's, let's start saving for our children. Yeah, so, too many times I've seen parents put their own and and as a parent you sort of understand hey I want the sure. best for my kid I want to make make it easy and good for them right and I'll figure out my own stuff later but you you know too many times we've seen parents put themselves in a challenging financial situation because of the cost of edu- of their children's education and now they're basically putting themselves in a position where They paid for the education so that the child could get a good job so that the child can take care of them when they run out of money, right? That's (laughs) sort of a, I say that a little tongue in cheek, but that's sort of our thought process is, hey, you know, we want to make sure as that you're going to be okay, that your retirement plan is on track. You know, it doesn't have to be fully funded necessarily, but at least you're, you're putting money that way first. And then from there, moving down to those sort of, secondary goals, like you said. Yeah, so, absolutely. What about if my kid doesn't want to go to school? What if they decide, Hey, you know, college isn't for me. I'm going to go start a business or do something else. Yeah. And you know, we get that question a lot. I think it's a fair one. It's like, Hey, if I put all this money into the 529 and it grew tax deferred and all that fancy stuff, but then my kid doesn't use it. What the heck? And you know, the answer is the 529 is a relatively flexible vehicle, savings vehicle in that you can take the 529 and simply change the beneficiary listed on it to another family member. So maybe your first child decides not to go to school, which uh, Austin, you and I are both first children. Like, you know, we wouldn't do that. We're, (laughs) you know, anyway, I digress. But, and the second child says, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Harvard, right? I'm going to do five years at Harvard, get a bachelor's and a master's degree. Well, you can take the the funds that weren't used by that first child simply change the name the named beneficiary on the account and begin using them you know for that second child's education you can also just use it for your own future education you know maybe you get a little ways down the road and say hey i want to take some classes at the local community college or the local college down the street you can use it to pay you know for that kind of thing 
You can also use the funds to pay down student loans, which is something that most people don't often think about. There is a maximum that you can use uh, at, over a lifetime. Uh, it's $10,000, but it's, it's worth mentioning you know, that that's something you can do with the plans. Yeah, a couple other things, and this is something you know. Again, I'm just speaking to my personal experience here, but you know, as you mentioned earlier, it does have some application in that K to 12 age range. You know, if they're if people are attending a private school, and so sort of the combination of changing it to a family member, using it for K through 12. You know, one of the things I'm after my parents about a little is, hey, I had this 529 you saved for me because I got scholarships and things. You didn't use it all, you know, well, what if we just give me as, you know, selfishly me as the parent, but a little bit of a head start for my own children, right? Right. We can change it too. So, and we see that with a lot of clients using this as a, a really good generational tool as well for, you know, clients who are in a good position, you know, there's some good, and we don't need to get too deep into this, but some good state planning reasons to fund 529s because it gets it out of your state for high net worth families and a few right. other things like that. But it's not like the money just, if it doesn't get used for a certain purpose, it evaporates. You know, we can, it can be a generational planning type tool as well. Um, and then I think there are some rules, and you may be more familiar with this than me, Rick, but if the children do have a scholarship, there may, there's, I think there's sort of like an offset or something like that. Can, right. you, can you speak to that? Yeah, there's a, there is a unique rule that if a scholarship is awarded to a child, and there is some tax-free versus not tax-free nuance in the rule that you know we need to have a client get in front of a CPA and really, really kind of flush that out. But if a child or a grandchild receives a scholarship, then the money in a 529 plan that doesn't get used can be paid out to the child depending on the 529 plan that you're using, you'd want to contact the administrator and discuss that specifically with them. But the money could be paid out of the 529 plan up to the amount of the scholarship and no tax penalty, no 10% penalty is assessed. There's regular capital gains tax on the earnings of the plan, but there is no penalty assessed. So it's potentially a nice way to say, hey, well done student. You know, you, you got this scholarship. We're very proud of you. We want to award you this money that we had originally saved. And it maybe is a chance, like you said, for some generational type planning to say, hey, let's not, you know, just give you that money and have you go buy, you know, the fancy car or whatever. Let's put this into an investment account and let it grow for your future kind of an approach. So there is a, a nice opportunity there for kids that get scholarships. All right. So it's pretty flexible there, right? If, if one kid doesn't use it, but I do want to take a second here just to talk back to that custodial account that I mentioned earlier. Cause if none of those options we just went through sound appealing to you, you know, in terms of changing it or using it for other yourself or future grandchildren or other children, and you're just thinking, oh man, I wish that they could have used this to buy a car or a down payment. You know, we should mention transportation is not a qualified expense, right? So if you're thinking, I don't like any of those options, I really wish that they could have bought a car or down payment on a house or use it to start a business or something like that. That's really where 
those custodial accounts come into play. So you can still save. There are, you know, again, pros and cons there. And, and this is an education focused podcast. So I don't want to get into that too much, but those custodial accounts are more flexible in that regard where you invest that money, depending on, again, state rules, that money becomes just that beneficiaries at a certain age and they can use it for whatever they want. So if you're really trying to save and want complete flexibility, now you don't get any of the tax benefits we talked about, right? So that's the downside is you know, the tax deferral and some of those kind of things don't apply to those accounts. So um, all right, a few last things here on the 529 is a couple of things I wanted to, to chat through. First would be contribution limits, right? So we mentioned right. you get a little bit of a, depending on your state, and I feel like there's just so many caveats to this, but because there's, you know, each state has its own plan, there's a lot of different rules state by state. So you get a tiny little state tax benefit, but that's not, you know, that there is a cap to how much you can contribute and how much state tax benefit you're going to get. Yeah. So we, you know, we don't hang our hats typically when we're speaking to clients on, Hey, you're going to get this big deduction up front when you put the money in at the state level, state to state, it can be a little better. Most states, it's just nothing to be too excited about. But what's nice about the 529 is that there's no specific contribution may, uh, contribution limit put on 529s outside of the gift tax limit, which is an annual limit that the IRS puts on gifting money to other people. So essentially, if you give any more than in 2022, $16,000 to any one person, you have to file a gift tax return and pay you know, potentially gift tax on that money. So that means you can contribute up to $16,000 a year to anybody's 529 plan, your child, your grandchild that you want to. There is one unique provision that's worth mentioning, and that is that you can essentially front load five years worth of 529 contributions into one year. So if you wanted to you could say, hey, I'm going to take 16,000 times five, $80,000, and put it into a 529 plan in a single year without you know, running into any gift tax concerns. So it's a nice vehicle from that perspective of you can get quite a bit into these plans if you need or want to. Yeah. And it's important to know also that's an individual limit, right? So like a married right. couple could do double that. I would say we don't typically recommend, you know, dumping that much money in right away there could be some better uses for some of that those some of those funds but you know if for if if you grew up in a family where everybody goes to Stanford or everybody goes to Harvard you're going to need to be making some contributions like that probably right. to get to get to those get to those numbers so you know and all of this really happens again within the context of that comprehensive financial plan where we're walking clients through all these goals and running projections for them. And what is what if my kid goes here? What if they go there? What if I decide I want to go back because I want to change careers, et cetera? All of this is sort of under that general umbrella of the comprehensive plan. Yeah. So I'll I'll mention my own personal experience with it, which is I Austin, you know, I have a couple of young children, two daughters, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And so my my personal approach has been in terms of my own comprehensive plan, yes, I want to save for college, I want to save for that eventual expense because I think education, my wife and I think that education is very important. We hope our girls 
will grow up and want to be college educated in the future. But I also know that I'm going to have to pay for at least two weddings in in you know the coming years. And the 529 plan is not necessarily a great vehicle for that. And so we've kind of worked out, my wife and I, in terms of our own plan to save monthly for our girls, partially to a 529, but partially to this custodial UTMA account that you've mentioned a couple of times as well. So sometimes it makes sense, again, in the context of a comprehensive plan, in the context of individual client needs to do a little bit of both. Yeah. And that gets back to, you know, our, this is probably like the fourth or fifth podcast that we did. That was that sort of cash flow management, right? And yeah. having the buckets and knowing where all the money is going. So th- that's really where this education planning fits. Anything else here before we close up? No, I think we've, I think we've pretty much hit it. Perfect. Well, if you have any questions or you'd like to learn more, please check out our website at wittenbergwealth.com or you can text me at 801-839-7056. Please remember to subscribe to the Wealth of Insight podcast and share with your friends and family. Thank you for listening to the Wealth of Insight podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Stratos Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor. Stratos Wealth Partners and Wittenberg Wealth Partners are separate entities from LPL Financial. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wittenberg Wealth Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.